AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Dan, you're going to tell us about a zero-day Firefox exploit that's linked to crypto sites? Uh, yes. So uh, it turns out a couple of different researchers did some uh, interesting analysis uh, on a targeted attack. So this attack was targeting operators of cryptocurrency exchanges. It was targeting, I guess, Mac devices. So a lot of people think they might be protected with Macs. Uh, and they, the adversaries had the zero day for Firefox uh, that they were able to leverage that hadn't been patched yet. So a couple of researchers got their hand on this malware. Uh, one of them was Patrick Wardle, and he has uh, this website called ObjectiveC.com. And if you go there, you're going to see an amazing, I, I thought it was a great write-up. If you're interested at all in malware reverse engineering, he actually takes you step by step on how to tear this malware apart in a Mac environment. Because uh, I know a lot of people know how to reverse engineer Windows, and with IoT, we've all had to reverse engineer you know, Linux. Uh, Linux malware. But here is a chance to uh, reverse engineer some Mac malware, uh, which people probably think they can't get infected. Time to change that assumption. Uh, just seeing that uh, helps to remind us uh, not to be complacent for protecting assets just because they have a certain operating system. The malware that was used is known as Mokes, uh, which is a weird like term. Like smoking? Yeah, but the S is in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, it's like the S and move it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it turns out that's also from the malware, if you look at the strings, and there's all these like different paths and things in there, and you'll see that it, the path they have is like ecoms, which is smoke backwards. Uh, so researchers took that and made it a different name. So in any case, um, this is pretty dangerous, obviously, because with the zero day, it's something that didn't have a patch. And as soon as you hit a website, um, and you would have the malware downloaded and attempted to be executed. Um, th there is a patch out already by okay. Firefox, so people can go and take advantage of that. Uh, you might be curious, how did people know to go to this website where the exploit was being served? And the way that a lot of them was targeted was with email phishing, uh, so targeted phishing. Um, there's a, an example of this phishing message on the website uh, that you can go and see just to see you know, what to expect from some of these adversaries. I think another thing that I've noticed in the past is sometimes when we see these kinds of stories, there was no actual attack necessarily that was successful. But because a lot of companies, and especially like cryptocurrency exchanges, take their security very seriously, like everyone should, what they do is every time they get a phishing email like this, they go and they analyze it to the best of their ability. They go and they try to run the, um, the URL with every single browser until they get like a working exploit so they can go and analyze the malware and understand these campaigns and ultimately stop them and make sure that they have the techniques in place. So it could be a situation like that. Uh, all in all, I, I mean, it's a good thing that everyone had done this because they were able to let Firefox know about the problem and the patch was released, I think about seven days ago or something. Um, so it's available for everyone now um, to, you know, to apply. I think that, the, the, I guess the curiosity here factor still is, is what's the, the victim, the, you know, like I think you said, Stan, is the victim just goes to the website and is infected. They don't have to click anything. They don't have to... 
Yes, I think this exploit, that's how it worked, uh, according to the write-up, is you just go to the website and you become affected. And I don't think we've seen something like that for a while. I, I think the last time I remember hearing something like that was maybe five years ago. So I think that's interesting you know, to the community when you have exploits that are able to work that easily. Most users don't expect something to be, to be able to get them that easily. It just shows adversaries are always working. And if you look at the details of this, um, exploit, like where the problem was, it's like, how did you even find that exploit? So it's showing you the creativity of the bad guys and um, how they're fuzzing and trying, you know, different things against these software versions. You, you kind of wonder too, with, since it's Firefox, which is a fairly open, uh, you know, uh, browser, you wonder if they found a vulnerability there and then, you know, before it was going to be patched and, and decided to disattack it before, before the patching happened. <laughs> yes, I actually tried to look at the bug track they had on this, and I know you need special permissions to even view it. So I know that with the bugzilla that they have, you know, they do keep track of the different bugs reported, uh, but that one, uh, you needed to have the permissions to be able to view that. And that's actually important in general. You know, you have that sensitive information out there, even in your source code repository where you keep track, or your or bug tracking uh, repository. Uh, not everyone probably needs to see the details of every single bug because adversaries, even insiders, can use that information uh, to create exploits um, that target your software. So now Firefox does have the patch that would prevent this vulnerability from taking place. So you should uh, put that onto play uh, just in case there's any copycat behavior. Hey John, I hear you have a story about uh, vulnerability in uh, Android Debug Ridge. I do. The, kind of similar to uh, something that came out oh, late last year, I think November timeframe, with a, uh, a cryptocurrency attack against that targets the Android Debug Bridge. What it does is it scans the Internet, finds listeners on that port 5555 or whatever they've chosen to look for for the Android Debug port. And if they, if they notice that there's a listener there, ADB doesn't really have, especially by default, you know, it's not turned on by default, and it certainly doesn't have any kind of password protections by default. And so what they'll do is they'll, they'll, then they'll be able to get into the system through that ADB port that's listening on the Internet, and they'll change the working directory from, you know, the standard working directory to, slash, to, to basically slash temp. If you think about it from the old you know, Unix days or your, your operating system perspective, slash temp is a world-readable, world-writable directory. And so now they've gotten the working directory where everything writes to is all in this open open directory. Then it will load this miner onto this device to start stealing your information. And, and it will take, you know, and your, and your money, your currency. So it seems like, you know, this week we had two stories about cryptocurrency, um, either targeting cryptocurrency exchanges or the cryptocurrency itself. So those are important aspects for us to understand about, you know, what is the motivation of the attackers. Uh, clearly, they're interested in cryptocurrency. It's just kind of a, a fascinating thing is how it turns this open port into a particular version of the miner, hides itself because it executes that payload and then deletes all the traces of itself. But e even in the interim, it's looking for other systems. And so the kind of this particular variant, which gets really in, you know, curious on how it works, is it turns to an SSH attack. So now not only has it gone to the, to the ADB port, it's now turned itself into this SSH 
uh, scanner and says, oh, I see in your system, in your Android phone. Again, it's not something very normal. You have all these SSH hosts that you're trying to connect to. Let me go see if I can infect those as well. I think, you know, we'll probably see the continuation of this type of thing. I, I, I do, I don't know. I, like I said, you're shooting yourself in the foot by running ADB on open, open ports, you know, to the Internet. But it is, you know, something you don't have to do. <laughs> you're, you're doing it to yourself, and you shouldn't. People will open up their devices. They'll buy a device, and then they'll open it up, and they become immediately become targets because they opened it up. People on the Internet are going to be looking for them, and if they find them, they're going to try to do stuff to them. That sounds like exactly what this was about. So Android is um, designed with security in mind. I remember reading a, a lot about that. Um, and they use uh, like basically the Linux operating system to set the permissions. I, you made earlier a reference to like um, the file system. I think every app that runs on Android is running as its own user ID, so it can only read its own files unless you root the device, which what means is if you're root, you can read any uh, file generated by any application, or unless you do what this thing did, uh, which is set, yeah, use temp, exactly. And, uh, but the Android debug bridge here, that thing, it, it's like the ultimate root on the system. You can upload, write APK files, you can uh, execute anything, and you can read anything. It's really, um, well, it's really powerful, and it makes sense for debugging, just not uh, in your, <laughs> not on your device. <laughs> I, I just, it, just, it just still kind of gets me, you know, you think, like I said, there, there's so many people, and, and it seems to be somewhat regionalized even, that root their devices by default. And, and, and people recognize that, and that's why they, they, you know, these malware authors are, are realize that, and they decide, hey, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, take advantage of this. And, and you know, and a lot of these groups, you know, these same, I don't want to say, uh, populations also are the ones that are maybe the most interested in cryptocurrency. So you got this double whammy that you know you're you're, all, you're you're not only the most likely to have a weak or a weakened system, more vulnerable, but you're also the one that you probably take advantage of the most. Yes. So John, one point I would make is um, you know when I think of mining software, I'm usually thinking like you said of just using someone else's resources to try to add to a blockchain to earn a cryptocurrency coin. Uh, but I think you use mining in a way that makes a lot of sense to me as I think about this particular situation in that if there's a million people out there who have opened up their devices and have this bridge running through something they did to it, um, and those people are also uh, enthusiasts and likely to have a wallet of maybe multiple types of cryptocurrency, um, you can just mine those people in this case, and you can, um, with privileges, get access to their wallet, and I guess you can transfer funds from them to wherever you want to send it to, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, the keys to the kingdom. You know, like the ADB is pretty open. You know, it's, it's, it's wide open access. You can find the things that have set UID, you know, the processes or replace those. But again, again, I think people just need to remember, you know, don't, don't, don't make yourself vulnerable, right? <laughs> You're vulnerable enough already without making it easy. <laughs>
uh, from someone inside of the Department of Homeland Security, I think that generated a lot of the coverage of this particular threat. Um, so um, nation state actor, um, and then a specific like APT group, Advanced Persistent Threat Group, uh, APT 33, uh, which also has some, uh, is also known as Refined Kitten, as opposed to some of the other kittens which we've heard before, like Charming Kitten, Rocket Kitten, Domestic Kitten, and Copy Kittens. <laughs> um, so the information that's out there does have quite a bit of detail, which I'll go over with you and like to hear your, your reaction to. Um, kind of following up to some 2018 um, advice from DHS, um, which really identified what they called password spraying, where you keep trying the same password, I guess with a lot of different uh, logins until it works. Um, that is still being quoted as you know one of the methods, uh, but also spear phishing, which you said, John. So um, uh, in this case, it looks like the attackers were going after some high value targets uh, who, who are either in the government or interested in working for the government and that uh, was offering them um, to send their, their information, their CV uh, to this domain and they would be considered for this new job as an assistant director uh, working on important stuff uh, in Washington, D.C. So that was the lure to get them to, to send their information to this site. Uh, and evidently, if, if you do what it tells you to do in the phishing message, um, there's a power ton um, remote access Trojan. I guess it's kind of a, a standard, does a lot of different stuff. Custom built, PowerShell, with some persistence uh, that would get installed if the user falls for it and applies for this uh, assistant director job. The other things um, that were, were cited with the tweet, especially over the weekend, uh, was that there could be data wiping. Uh, and I think that's what really caused like the whole, all these security companies to start talking about it even more. Uh, and I think this was meant to just get the word out there to people, hey, be aware, be warned, um, something bad could happen to you. Got kind of more points on the alarm scale than uh, most of the stuff I've seen so far this year. I think uh, it sounds very familiar, uh, some of the things here. Uh, which makes me think, you know, for criminals, you know, we do a lot of botnet tracking, which usually these botnets are operated by cybercrime groups, and sometimes these adversaries get arrested. But these nation state groups, they kind of stick around and they just kind of tune their uh, parameters or, or their malware, and they keep coming back. It's interesting to see that some of the tactics, though, are very similar. The techniques for the adversaries don't change much. You know, it's going to be phishing or social engineering to get into the front door, and maybe with the help of some kind of exploits. This one, it sounds like it would be interesting to specific types of people, and it's very targeted for right. that group of people. You know, oh wow, I'm being. I thought you know, since we're talking, we're talking basically what they call whaling, right? You're you're hitting high visibility you know, large company people who are eligible for those that counsel to begin with. So, so you, you have to think that those are people that, you know, are, are, you know, hopefully are knowledgeable about this type of an attack. But if you've got, if you've even got one success, you're, you're probably, you know, feeling pretty lucky. <laughs> yes. And I know for these APT groups, you know, let's say they don't successfully exploit your machine for one reason or another. Maybe you had AV on there and you went through all the steps. If you even submitted your CV, you're now on a special list of people who they might target again in the future with new domains. So with new like infrastructure or new campaigns, and that's probably like the more dangerous thing for you is being on that list 
of people who are going to be targeted in the future, especially if you weren't like expecting it. Because I'm guessing some of these campaigns are probably against, you know, not the the big VIPs, but somebody like in like a middle VIP, you know, a person on their way to becoming a VIP, right? Somebody who wants to be uh, maybe a politician or play, apply for like a directorship position or something like that. Maybe one day they will be a VIP. And then if you've gotten your presence on their PC now, maybe you can have a bigger impact. And I'm guessing that's kind of how these APT groups operate. Probably a lot of these, have, you know, important VIPs uh, have executive assistants as well that are doing a lot of their email filtering. And, and so, you know, if you infect them, the executive assistant, you know, you may have gotten yourself even a, a bigger piece of that, you know, kingdom yes. to, to be able to transact. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting to me is that uh, with a social engineering campaign like this, you're, you're inviting your target to send you their CV. And if all they do is just send you their CV, you've already been successful, even if you don't get malware on their system. Um, and if, they, if they're willing to send you their CV, they're probably going to click on whatever you tell them to click them on, too. And they probably are going to get on your system. So, yes. um, definitely important to be cautious about requests like this from you know, uh, a source that you don't expect it from. Yes. Don't be lured into sharing your resume, your CV. Um, and then from a data perspective, back everything up and be ready to restore if you have to. Hi, Michael. Today I have the internet weather for this week and we'll start with the top 10 most pro ports. Um, so this week, uh, there's not much deviation in the volume of scanning against the top ports. It's the same ports that we always see, uh, many of them related to known vulnerabilities or known threats. For example, uh, 3389 would be RDP. So uh, the one port I chose to talk about this week was 5555 TCP, mostly because we had a story that John brought us about uh, the Android debug bridge. So I decided to look at that a little bit more and see what the scanning activity looked like. So if you go back 30 days and see the volume of scanning activity on this port, see there's some spikes uh, maybe every few days uh, but also uh, the activity is kind of uh, stable you know there's uh, between you know, 40 and maybe 60 uh, million flows per hour uh, on this port pretty consistently with some ups and downs and some peaks here and there um, so what does that mean it probably means that the number of devices that have this scanning behavior that might be infected with it probably fairly constant or there's a you know just there's no new adversaries entering the space although you could see just because of how the graph looks like it's probably different people doing it because of the spikes are probably caused by certain adversaries whereas the more flat activity is caused by others so looking at that we actually uh, have a honeypot that I've been experimenting with excellent um, just to see and understand like what's hitting our honeypot against this port 55 to 5 TCP. And we expect, you know, this being Android debug bridge, for most of the activity to be related to ADB, which would be this color right here. You could see in the last 60 days only about 7% of the activity that the honeypot detected was related to this. Hmm. The surprising statistic here is that almost 50% of activity was related to RDP scanning. And then a third uh, is related to HTTP. And then only 7% is related to ADB. So that's not as much as you would think. So 
looking at that, those behaviors a little bit more, started to peel this back and understand like what's happening. So one of the most significant things happening on the HTTP port, usually people scan HTTP just to see is there a web server here, and if there is, what is it? Uh, but um, a few devices are scanning the Honeypot and actually wanting to install some kind of malware. So this is a well-known CVE from 2016. Uh, it's uh, basically, I believe, Mirai, Satori, and other IoT-type malware is related to this exploitation, and that's what we're seeing here. Um, the other thing is this XMR, which is a type of cryptocurrency mining. And then Android Debug Bridge is something we talked about, and this is what that might look like. And then for RDP, this is really strange. So in the beginning of RDP, you usually send a username, and you say, hey, I want to connect, and here's my username. And what's really strange is that the username is being picked for RDP, at least with these scanning tools that we're observing, our administrator, spelled kind of weird, the word hello, or the word test, uh, which is most of it. There are a lot of devices that comp comprise this type of scanning, especially the hello scanning. It's not just one or two IP addresses doing it. There's a whole set of them uh, doing that. So maybe in a future segment, it's something I like, would like to look into and understand, is it some weird botnet that is doing this hello RDP scanning? Um, or is it a specific tool that's being used? Uh, but this is basically what the activity looks like um, for 55-55 TCP. So now we're going to go to the top 10 most sources probing. This week I cheated a little bit because I wanted to add an 11th spot for something that I covered last time that I was here. I don't have better answers this week, but I just wanted to see uh, what was the difference in the pattern from the last time over here. So hopefully you'll enjoy uh, hearing about it. And of course, the star of this week is port 8291 TCP because it's jumped up 32 places, uh, which is quite significant uh, for what we generally see. Um, so let's do that and take a look at what is happening on port 8291 TCP. Um, so if you go back 60 days and you look at the scanning activity uh, by number of devices scanning or the scan source IP addresses, you could see it's in the thousands, so these digits are in the thousands. But you could see uh, maybe you know, 45 days ago, there were about 2,000 devices you know, suddenly scanning, between, and then another day, 2,500, and there's these little short peaks. But then later, you have like this wide scanning that's happening over a longer time period. The 11th there? Yes, on the 11th, and it's happening for you know, several hours, maybe even two days or so. Uh, in a row, which is weird, and it's consistent, uh, basically about 2,000 devices. But now the next time the activity rolls through, just about seven days later there, there's many more devices scanning per hour. So the number of devices scanning on the sport has been going up uh, every few days, uh, which seems to indicate that at least at this moment in time, the adversary is successfully recruiting devices into some sort of uh, what we would normally call a botnet. So this is the latest uh, example of what we talk about a lot, which is where you see the little precursor, the little warnings, and then it yes. starts to take off and impact more and more systems. Yes, exactly. And you know that there are systems listing on 8291, or you wouldn't see this increase. Exactly. So I look in our honeypot again, and in the honeypot I'm again looking at who is communicating over the sport, and when they do, what kind of protocol are they sending. Again, this is actually an alternate web port, so there's a lot of um, people just scanning for web uh, servers on this port. 
RGP, a little bit of a surprise for me, uh, but it seems to always be there. Um, so here, again, SSL, malformed HTTP, uh, is most of the activity that we see, so it's not clear if there's a specific exploit. I did review these, um, and I couldn't find any examples of like an active exploit uh, being leveraged against the honeypot for this port. So I decided to then go and say, well, for these IP addresses that are doing the scanning, where are they located? Uh, different regions of the world do seem to be part of this network of computers doing scanning on this port, uh, but it's not the general usual operators that we're used to seeing. So whatever this is that's spreading or whatever the devices are, they're distributed in different segments and they probably indicate some type of device or service that you know maybe there's a specific type of IoT device that may be deployed more readily in these areas uh, than anywhere else. The fact that they're all scanning together at the same time means that they're probably under a single adversary's control. Command, yeah. The other thing I would say is if we kind of connect what you said about 5555 and 8291, it's new to me is that RDP isn't just on the RDP port, registered RDP port. There's That's RDP right. going on here, there, and everywhere. Exactly, evidently. yes. People are scanning for uh, like every port, it seems, for services that they're interested in. So I thought that was pretty interesting, that two different ports, both had spikes, and people were trying to use RDP to get into those endpoints on those different ports. So another port that I wanted to revisit was... Number 11, right? <laughs> this is number 11, 65.529 TCP. So the last time I was on the show, this is, uh, we were kind of like right here somewhere. Uh, I think it was, yeah, right here. And so the activity had just started. Looking at it now, I can see the activity has remained stable. What does it mean, activity has remained stable? Meaning that the number of devices doing the scanning, as you could see, has leveled off. It's about the same number of devices scanning each hour. So it has not grown, it has not become like an epidemic, so to speak. It's these you know, four to 5,000 devices that have the problem. Um, now this picture is actually from uh, the last time I was on the show. So this is when the botnet was just starting out. And I guess I'm gonna use the term bloom the botnet is going to bloom right now right. as I go through the next Mature. pictures. Yes, um, and you could see it's really taken off. Mostly, here is an example of where a botnet takes off in China, and um, you know a little bit in India. Uh, so, generally, this indicates that the types of devices that are probably susceptible to whatever this exploit is are in that part of the world. All right, and finally, twice now I've been looking at port four four five TCP. And uh, you probably remember right here, like a year and a half ago, this weekend right here, where WannaCry first came out, yeah. and it was like really big in the news, and everybody call, got called in and said, hey, are, what do you guys know about WannaCry? Do we have a problem with this? And the activity subsided significantly. But like the next week, I think, it started slowly creeping up, and now looking at it 900 days back, you could see how massive the problem has gotten with 445 TCP, which is generally associated with the WannaCry worm or other offshoots uh, of that, uh, utilizing the eternal blue, eternal romance um, exploit kits. But last time I was on the show, it kind of looked like the activity was going down. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and then the activity flattened out. Okay. And then the activity went down again. And every time I'm on, now I'm trying to predict, is it going to go down 
stay the same or go back up. I take it back up. Uh, I have good news for you. It's, uh, it's kind of going back down. You can barely see it, but with the arrow the way I drew it, it looks like it could be going back down. Yes, it does. But we are a long way from uh, what the norm was. Uh, but I'm hopeful that when we look at this 900 days from today, maybe we can get back to at least this baseline. Um, but we'll have to see. We will see. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Michael. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.